got good news this morning. We have the best news this morning. And I cannot wait to dig in with you this morning. And let's do that. Let's do that. I also want to let you know that um, that as you as you uh, came in, as you registered your, your children for Children's Church this morning, every family got a, a Easter biggest storybook story uh, Easter storybook Bible. And uh, you guys are going to enjoy this with your families. We encourage you to take it home tonight and uh, and spend some time this week even digging into this. It's, just, it's beautifully illustrated and uh, your kids are going to love it and I think that you are going to love it as well. This morning, we have good news and we have special edition good news this morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Thank you so much. Christ is risen. There you go. You'll, you'll make good make good liturgists eventually. 2,000 years ago, that headline, Crucified King Seen Alive, that you've seen on our, on our uh, handouts or invites, you've seen on our social media, that, that headline, Crucified King Seen Alive, it, it, it seemed impossible 2,000 years ago. If an investigative, investigative journalist was in Jerusalem for Passover, she would leave with a very different story than the one she wanted to tell. She would have a story reporting the events of a crucified and risen king through the eyes of three or four women. And she would start with the story at the garden tomb. These women that morning expected death at the grave. 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, they expected to go to that tomb that morning to prepare a body, Jesus' body, for burial. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. They expected to find the body of Jesus in that tomb. They expected to weep and to mourn. They expected to see a bruised and mutilated body. They expected to say goodbye to every hope and promise that he had made. They expected to share stories of the way he loved them, to share stories of the the time he turned the water into wine, or the time he healed Peter's mom, or the time he stood up for the women in the face of accusers, the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead, or, or taught them what the kingdom of heaven really is. They expected to leave the garden tomb that day, feeling the weight of sorrow and of grief. They expected to leave that tomb confused about what would come next. What about the kingdom that Jesus said was coming? What about the revolution that we had hoped for? What about the restoration of Israel? What about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? And what about the temple? And what about the prophecies of, of Jesus? What about the claims of Jesus? He claimed to be the fulfillment of the prophets of Israel. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be equal to the father. He claimed he would build his church. He claimed that hell would not stop his kingdom. He claimed to be the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the chosen one, the king of Israel. He, he claimed to be the ancient one. He claimed to be the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He claimed that he was instituting a new covenant. And the bread was his body and the cup was his blood. They expected that morning at the tomb to find what everyone finds when they go to the grave of a dead loved one. They expected to find a body. They expected to find Jesus dead. I mean, let's be real. They had seen the events of the week on Palm 
Sunday. On Palm Sunday, the king arrives, and if you've got your Bibles open, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going we're gonna to pretend that we're this investigative journalist, and we're looking at the events of the week. So on Palm Sunday, the king arrives. Verse 28 of chapter 19. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And so those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road, and he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, down the road. And the whole crowd of his disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd, they told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, and we talked about this last week. If I tell you, I tell you, if they were to keep quiet, these very stones would cry out. He approached the city and he wept for it. And he said, if you knew this day would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. For the day will come on when you and your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. And they'll crush you and your children among you to the ground. And then I'll leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. That Palm Sunday, that Palm Sunday, the women had seen the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. They had seen him worshipped as king. They had seen him rebuke the Pharisees and welcome this coronation, welcome this king and they, these women had seen Jesus enter Jerusalem welcomed as a miracle worker, welcomed as a prophet, welcomed as a teacher, welcomed as a revolutionary and welcomed as a king. These women saw that Palm Sunday. They were there. So on Palm Sunday, the king arrives. On Monday, the king decrees. Mark chapter 11 says this, The next day they, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves. He went to find out there was nothing on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The women heard it. These women knew what Jesus had done. They he had now cursed this fig tree. What he's saying to this fig tree is your days are over. You will no longer bring healing and life and fruit. Of course, the, the fig tree was a symbol of Israel, a symbol of the law, a symbol of the old covenant. Those covenant, that old covenant, Israel, the fig tree, the way that you found life, you'll find no more. Cursed is the fig tree, but... Jesus would be our life. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes into the temple and throws out the, those who are selling. And he said, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him. But they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated. The women heard. The women heard this teaching. The women saw his teaching. The women were with him on that Monday. It was the talk of Jerusalem. It was the talk of all of Jerusalem. Jesus is turning over tables. The, the king is decreeing and, and declaring that his house will be a house of prayer, a house of communion, a house of fellowship. The king is bringing judgment on those who would exploit others in the name of God. On Monday, the king is cleaning house. It's Passover week. The temple was even busier than normal. And here comes the king restoring order and driving out. 
leaves us using his kingly authority to defeat bad religion. The women saw Monday. On Tuesday, the king cautioned his people. Luke 21 says this in verse 34, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life, or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come on all who live in the face of the whole earth, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and be able to stand before the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking about the final revelation also of Jesus at his second coming. He's talking about future events, some events that that the generation that was alive at Jesus' time would see, and some that would come future at a later date. And the women hear it. The women hear it. They are there. Jesus is cautioning his people, be ready for that day. Be ready for that day of judgment. Be ready for that day of reckoning. Be ready for the day of the Lord. Be ready for the day of destruction. He is cautioning his people. And the women hear it and the women see it. And and I believe we should heed the warning of Jesus today. Be ready for that day. On Wednesday, the king continues and the council conspires. It's Wednesday. Jesus is still teaching in the temple. Jesus is not just teaching in the synagogue like he had been doing. He's in the temple. He is in the most revered space in Israel, and he is teaching and preaching and proclaiming himself to be the fulfillment of the prophets. Verse 37 of Luke 21, during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what's called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple teaching in the temple. He's claiming these prophecies for himself. He is pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and of the religious council. He is explaining and expounding on the holy scriptures. He is revealing himself to be the point of the holy scriptures of the text. and, And the more he shows the text in its proper context, the more he reveals the pretext of the Pharisees. And the more the Jewish council seeks to get rid of him. Verse 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 22, the festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. It's Wednesday. Passover is quickly approaching. A sacrifice is about to be done. A sacrifice that will atone for the sins of all humanity. A sacrifice, but not the sacrifice that those who had gathered in pa- for Passover week expected. It would not be the sacrifice of a lamb that would bring atonement for the sins of the world. It was the sacrifice of the lamb of God. A sacrifice. An innocent Thursday, we see Jesus as this covenantal king. Verse 14 of Luke 22, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and all the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he He said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as he's been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they begin to argue among themselves which of them could it be who was going to do it. And the Lord wrote among them about who would be considered the greatest. A dispute arose, and he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord over it, 
much of authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest. Whoever leads like the one serving. Whoever, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves Jesus. You are those who stood by me in trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is now instituting a new covenant. They had come to celebrate Passover. They had come to celebrate the deliverance of Israel from the bondage of Egypt by God under Moses. But here, Jesus is instituting a brand new covenant. He's saying that death that his death would be the ratification of this covenant, that his blood would guarantee the fulfillment of this covenant, that like the Passover lamb saved Israel from the death of their firstborn, Jesus, the only begotten of God, his death would save and deliver all who would apply the covenant of blood to their lives. Jesus is this covenantal king. A king who in his death would bring life. A king who would sacrifice himself to deliver and rescue his people. A king who would make all, who would make all who apply the blood to their lives kings and priests in the kingdom of God. And when you, church, when you, son or daughter of God, when you receive the bread and the cup, you are remembering the covenant, you're remembering the covenantal king, and you're remembering by the death of Jesus, you have a place in the kingdom of God. It's Thursday, and the women are preparing for Passover, and Jesus is preparing for see the crucified king. Jesus has prayed for strength to fulfill the plan of salvation. His death, he has gone to the garden of Gethsemane. He has prayed, he has agonized, he has said, okay, God, Father, not my will, but yours be done in his humanity, in his flesh. He was crying out, not my will, but yours be done. But in his divinity, in his fullness of God, he understood the plan of salvation. He understood that it would take the death. But he is praying for strength to fulfill this plan. Jesus has then been betrayed by Judas and Jesus is arrested and the Jewish council, their plot begins to come together. Jesus is betrayed and arrested and Jesus is brought before the high priest to be investigated and charged with blasphemy. That they charged him with blasphemy, you know what that means. That means they understood that what he said was that he was claiming to be God. You may hear folks say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, the fact that he claimed to be God is why he was crucified. That is why the Jewish council plotted against him and charged him with blasphemy. Jesus claimed to be God. Peter sees this trial and Peter denies Jesus three times and the Jewish leaders then they take they take Jesus to, to, to Pilate to question Jesus. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Pilate didn't want to deal with it. Pilate's wife had had a dream and warned. So he sends him to Herod. Herod grows tired of Jesus. Because Jesus won't do any magic tricks for him. He won't perform miracles. And so he sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate and Jesus have one of the most interesting conversations in these encounters with himself and Pilate. In John chapter 18, verse 28, it says they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them. Which charge do you bring this man? 
they answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. You take him and judge him according to your law, Pilate says. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death to Jesus' birth. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what death he was going to die. And Pilate went back to their headquarters, summoned Jesus in and said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I, Pilate replied. Your own nation and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. To it I would not be handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate said. You say that I'm a king. I was born for this. And I have come into the world to the, for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who listens to my voice, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? After this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no ground for charging them the custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do what you want me to release the king of the Jews. And they shouted, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. Jesus claimed to be the king. Jesus claims to have eternal authority. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Jesus claims to be the truth. Pilate asked Jesus a very postmodern question. What is truth? about Pilate is that he believed Jesus, but he feared the people. And that fear of the people led him to turn Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe, and they kept coming up to him and saying, hell, king of the Jews, and they were slapping his face. And Pilate looks at him again and goes outside and says, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds in charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, here is the man. And when the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify, crucify. And Pilate says, take him and crucify him yourself. I find no grounds in charging him. Said the Jewish leaders did, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the Son of God. The charge was blasphemy. When Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus didn't give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, You have no authority over me at all. If I hadn't been given to you from above, that is why the one who handed me to you has greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release Jesus, but the Jews kept shouting, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend trying to put pressure on Pilate. And anyone who makes himself a king opposes Jesus. And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement. It was the preparation day for the Passover. It was about noon. Then he told the Jews, here is your shouted, take him away, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And their reply was, we have no king but Caesar. And they handed him over to be crucified and they put him This was the Jews. 
so we would rather seize and be empowered. Crucify us, Lord. Jesus is condemned to die. Jesus is flogged and beaten, mocked. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. He is forced to carry his cross crucifixion until he can no longer stand under the weight of his cross and Simon from Cyrene is grabbed and forced to help carry the cross of Jesus. Nails are driven into the hands and the feet of Jesus. He is hung on the cross between two thieves. A sign is placed on the cross by Pilate. This is Jesus of Nazareth. says this, it was about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light faded. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit, I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. And when a centurion, one of the Roman guards, saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, this man saw what had taken place, they went home striking their chests because all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching all these things. They were investigating the story. Jesus breathes his last. Jesus dies. The women stand there weeping, grieving, confused, fearful. Jesus' mother is heartbroken. The women are trying to comfort one another. Jesus hangs dead, lifeless on a cross. It's Friday. Jesus, the king, is crucified. The women were waiting for Jesus. Jesus is dead. It's Saturday. Saturday, the king rests. It's Sabbath. Mary and the women, they observe the Sabbath. Jesus' body lays in the tomb. The king rests. The king observes this Sabbath rest. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they place guards at the tomb. They didn't realize it, but they were only guarding a tomb that night. They weren't guarding a tomb. They were, they were guarding a palace. They were guarding a throne room. The king lied and stinks, but he would not stand. And the women waited. They had seen the king celebrated on Palm Sunday. They had seen him crucified on Friday, and now he lays in the tomb on Saturday. Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming, and for those women, that meant they would go and anoint the body of Jesus. It's Sunday. It's Sunday, and the king reigns. It's Sunday. The women have plans, remember? They expect to find the body of Jesus in the tomb. They expected to weep and to mourn. They expected to see a bruised and mutilated body. They expected to say goodbye to every hope and every promise. They expected to share the stories that they had seen and were witnesses of and that they had lived through and that they had experienced of, of miracles and of teachings and of laughter and of children coming to Jesus and of Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. They expected to go to the tomb that day to anoint the body and to share stories and to grieve and to comfort one another. They expected to leave the garden tomb that day feeling the weight of sorrow and grief. They expected to leave the garden tomb that day confused about what was going to happen next. They expected, again, to 
find what everyone expects to find when they go to heaven. They did. They expected to find him dead. But Jesus revived faith. On the first day of the week, of the week, Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And they said, these men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you, ladies, when you were still, when he was still in Galilee saying, it is necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Hear me this morning, church. Sometimes, very often, when we go through seasons of trial and difficulty, when it feels like everything we have trusted in has died, it's very hard to remember the promise that we have. These women that day, it says, when the angel told them and reminded them of what Jesus had told them, then they remembered what he said. I just want to remind you this morning. Maybe some of you in this house have forgotten the words of Jesus. Maybe some of you in this house have forgotten the hope and the peace and the joy and the life that is yours in Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning have forgotten the promise that God has made to you today. But the empty tomb is here to remind you the words of God are faithful and true. He will keep his promise. Don't let the death around you rob you of your remembrance. is not the end of Jesus. Returning from the womb, empty tomb, these women, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, and Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. And all the women said, that's right. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen cloth. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Everything they expected before Friday, that he would be the king, he would be the conqueror, he would be the the revolutionary, he would be the savior, he would be the, the one who would, 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 would forgive and deliver. Everything they expected before Friday came true on Sunday. They thought everything that they had expected was dashed, was gone, was broken, was empty, was stolen from them, was killed on Friday. But every promise came true. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the restoration of Israel. Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the Deliverer, our Savior. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the hope of nations and the hope of men. Jesus is defying expectations. resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead were these women. What makes this such an extraordinary eyewitness account is because women would not have been counted as faithful witnesses. But Jesus counted 
seems to be is the problem. Jesus is still the problem. Jesus is still transforming grieving women into evangelists. Jesus is still turning graves into gardens. Jesus is still offering to us to become kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Jesus is still the sacrificial lamb who in first who Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sin in his body on that tree having died to sins so he, we might live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of our souls for our sin. He says this a little bit Friday at our Good Friday service. It says, it doesn't just say he bore our sin as in the curse of sin. It doesn't just say that Jesus bore the curse of sin in his body and, 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 and broke the curse of sin as this metaphysical understanding of evil in the world. Peter tells us that he bore our sins Yes, Jesus broke the curse. He trampled the domain of darkness, making a show of it openly. Paul tells us in Colossians. But not only did he break the curse of sin, he bore our individual sins in his body. The sin that you struggle with, the sin that has that has kept you, the sin that has has made you feel guilt and shame, the sin that has separated you from God, your individual sin, Jesus took on himself. He took your sin on his body, nailing it on the tree so that we could die to sin tells us, and live for righteousness. We cannot die to sin unless we trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. And we cannot live for righteousness unless we have allowed the work of Christ on the cross to be applied to our lives. You can walk in the righteousness of God, the goodness and the mercy and the right standing because of anything you have done, but because Jesus took your sins, not just breaking in the curse of sin, your sin, my sin, you can name that sin, it was on him. Now you can live for righteousness because your sin has been taken saw the empty tomb. Jesus was not there. Peter marveled when the disciples gathered later that day. They were perplexed at what the women saw, what the women spoke, perplexed and amazed and bewildered at the testimony of Peter, wondering what happened? What happened to Jesus? Where is he? We saw him die. We saw him placed in the tomb. We know that they put guards over the tomb. They sealed it with a stone. No one was getting in. The guards made sure that what happened to Jesus' body? Where is he? They were confused. They were amazed. They were fearful. And while they were saying things in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus himself stood in their midst, and he said to them, 
startled and terrified. I mean, I think that's, that's Jesus, the first thing he says to them is peace to you because he knows they're going to freak out. He knows they're going to they're gonna be terrified. He knows they're going to be afraid. He knows that they're not going to understand. Jesus, they had seen him die. Seen him placed in a tomb. He shows up at their house. He just appears. I love it. He just, he, he just appears before them. Jesus' resurrection body, Jesus' glorified body, this resurrection body is, is, is amazing because he can just appear, but it's also physical. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave. Because he says, why are you troubled? Because they thought they were seeing a ghost. So they were, they were terrified. Why are you troubled? Well, because we saw you die and you're here. So we're kind of, we're, we're a little put aback, right? Why do you doubt? Why are there doubts arising in your heart? Then he says this, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones that you can see that I have. Bodily resurrection. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed, And now it says, in disbelief because of their joy. They didn't believe because of doubting, but now they just can't believe because of joy. I I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Jesus is alive. I can't believe it. He's he's here. He's he's in our midst. I can't believe it. Can you believe this? Can you see that? That's Jesus. There's his hands and his body. That's Jesus right there. I can't believe it. somebody gave him a piece of boiled fish and this I'm just going to be weird right now because this part of the story just amazes me because then he would just pass through the house he's flesh and blood he's got bones he passed through houses but he's flesh and bone when he hits the wall the fish stays in his belly it doesn't hit the wall and fall out I just, I just, I'm weird it just me out. It's amazing. The resurrection of Jesus. His glorified body. They can see him, they can touch him, but he's also supernatural. And he was hungry. Let me ask you this morning, why do you just believe? Why do you just believe? disbelieve out of doubt say it couldn't possibly be or do you disbelieve out of joy and say can you believe it Jesus is alive church Jesus is still defying expectation Jesus is still entering into our confusion and speaking peace Jesus is still showing us his scars Jesus is still coming into our midst and gathering with us as we gather. Jesus is still showing up when we forget. Jesus is still present when we receive the bread and the cup. Jesus is still saving and delivering and healing and transforming lives and hearts. It's Sunday. Jesus is 
Jesus is alive. Listen, church. Because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus, death will never have power and dominion again. Romans 6, 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Acts 13, raised from the dead no more to return to corruption. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning and the guarantee of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But if Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, and he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up, also with Jesus, to bring us into his presence. We were raised with Jesus so that our true life is now hidden with him. And because of the resurrection, we are born again to a living hope. And because of the resurrection, we can now enjoy personal fellowship with Christ Jesus. And because of the resurrection, Jesus has a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus kept his word. Jesus kept his word. Resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and the promises of God. And because Jesus was raised, He has poured out the promised Holy Spirit from the Father. And because Jesus was raised, He can still heal the way He healed when He was walking the earth. And because of the resurrection, He can repent, He can give healing and forgiveness from sin and because Jesus was raised he is now appointed by God to judge the living and the dead Acts 17 31 says he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead our justification has been secured because Jesus is alive in Christ has taken the place of the law so that we can bear fruit for God and because of Jesus bodily resurrection he now has the glory that we were made for and our ultimate destiny if we are in Christ is to be
side of 